are continuing with our series, Life's Big Questions. And the question that we're going to be addressing today is, what, what happens when people die? You know, I don't think I've ever met anyone that was excited to face the process of death. Uh, they may have wanted to end their existence because of an overwhelming issue that they were facing, but the door of death has an icy handle that chills most resolute people. <laughs> we as humans, we have certain feelings about death, and over the past few weeks, we have seen what those feelings are as we saw the world celebrate Halloween. Think for a moment about the images of, that we saw and the responses that they evoke in us. Spiders hanging in webs, grave markers with hands sticking out, ghosts hanging in trees, black cats, witches, bats, jack-o'-lanterns. These had a history of warding off evil spirits that were said to roam the earth on Halloween. Zombies and vampires, the undead. And so why has Halloween become the second highest sales uh, holiday behind Christmas? Well, I think it's because we want to take the dread out of death. We want to believe that it's just our friendly neighbor behind the Grim Reaper mask. Why did we spend over $1.3 billion last year to go to theaters to be scared by a murderous clown, an alien, a giant shark, or the psychotic ghost of an eight-year-old girl climbing out of a well? Well, it's because we can see that these things are frightful and we want to see them as make-believe. Perhaps we can face those things that we truly fear. The things that we truly fear are that we also someday are going to become like that hideous corpse. And so as we make light of these things that are the foundation of our darkest nightmares, we are in essence saying, death, you can't scare me. You've thrown your worst at me and I didn't hide my eyes. I watched the final scene of Nightmare on Elm Street and I didn't scream. Right? In fact, now that the lights are back on in the theater, I feel kind of silly that I was scared at all. But even though we dress up our children in costumes and send them out to collect treats from elderly neighbors who are masquerading as werewolves, and even though we tell them there's nothing to be afraid of, we know deep down inside that there is something to be afraid of. Perhaps not Frankenstein's monster or the Headless Horseman, but scarier monsters with names like lymphoma or brain aneurysms. And when these monsters come knocking at our door in our life, it's pretty scary. We recoil in fear. We don't want to die. We fight back with weapons like chemotherapy or heart valve replacements. And so let's dig in and address the question that people have been asking for millennia. What happens when I die? Well, first of all, we see in our text here today that when you die, your soul separates from your body. The book of 2 Corinthians was written in order to address particular questions about theological issues. And here in the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is dealing with the, the issue of life after death. Notice in verse 1 the statement, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. And he calls these bodies a tent. And that's very fitting because like a tent, it's a temporary dwelling place. Like when we're camping out, so too our bodies are temporary dwellings. 
Death is the event that causes that which is you, your soul, to leave the tent. This is made clear as we jump down to verse 8. Paul is talking about being away from the body, our earthly tent, and being with the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that you won't have a body when you're in heaven. You're not going to be like one of these ghosts that we see depicted in movies. We know this because if you think back to the transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus there, spoke to he and the disciples, they had bodies. In fact, the disciples somehow recognized them. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, meet Moses and Elijah. They just knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Which tells me that in some way, we will have similar features to our mortal bodies. Now for some of you, that might seem like a great disappointment, but be assured, you will not be disappointed. The new dwelling that you will receive is referred to in verse 1 as a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Tents are temporary, whereas buildings are meant to be permanent. But even in this life, the buildings that we see get old. They get knocked down, they deteriorate. Not so with the new dwelling place that is from God. It is eternal forever in the heavens. Nothing can damage it. All those things that threaten our bodies now will be eliminated in heaven. Things like sickness, death, disease, trauma, the curse of sin. The second thing we see here in our text is that when you die, your life gets better. In verse 2 here, Paul is talking about how in this life we groan. We are longing to be clothed and clothed and not found naked. Have you ever been accidentally caught naked before? <laughs> Somebody walked in, they're standing there naked. It's kind of embarrassing, right? It's kind of shocking. You feel exposed, you feel vulnerable. And that's the current state that we live in. We are naked in some ways. We are exposed, we are vulnerable. And we have all this underlying sense of this vulnerability. That's why we groan. Because something is just not right about this life. We are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we want to be with the Lord. We want to be in his presence. We don't want to be afraid of that phone call. I used to think that the valley of the shadow of death was when you were facing death. Actually, we are in the valley of the shadow of death all the time in this life. Because maybe you're not consciously thinking it, but in the back of your mind, you're always waiting for that phone call. That phone call in the middle of the night. Something's happened. Or that test result that comes back. You have cancer. Your heart's bad, whatever it might be. And so we're groaning. I think somebody that I think of that probably had death on his mind more than anybody in the Bible was the thief on the cross. <laughs> He's hanging there, and in a few hours, his life of, life of agony is about to be over. And he deserved to be there. No hope, nothing to look forward to. His life would be over soon. Or would it? It was his lucky day, if there's such a thing as a lucky day. He happened to be crucified right next to Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and Jesus told him something that was astounding to his ears. We see the scene unfold in Luke 23, 43. 
Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. From crucifixion one moment, no hope, to paradise the next. And that word paradise means the king's garden. From crucifixion to the king's garden. In fact, we see in Revelation 2.7 that the tree of life is there. This story is so encouraging to me because obviously this guy did not deserve paradise. All he did was plead that Jesus would remember him when he came into his kingdom. And this shows me that it's not about how great a life you lived or all the things that you did for Jesus that qualify you for eternal life. Paul looked forward to his own death, which he said would be better by far to be with the Lord. He had seen the afterlife. We know this according to 2 Corinthians 12.3. It says that he was caught up into paradise or the third heaven. He saw things that are, men are not allowed to say. So he had seen heaven and I think, man, that would be really hard. It would be kind of cool to see heaven. But now you've got to come back down here and live how many ever years for the rest of your life. Always hoping for that place. Next we see in our text here that when you die, you appear before Jesus for your reward. Paul goes on in verse 10 to talk about something called the judgment seat of Christ. He says that everyone will appear before Jesus to be judged about what they did, good or bad, now listen, while in the body. So whatever you did here, good or bad, you're going to be standing before Jesus to be judged about those things. And this can be a bit scary, right? Especially when you consider all the bad things that we have done and the opportunities that we've blown. A couple of things that I think that can encourage us in regard to this is, first of all, for the Christian, this judgment has nothing to do about whether you're saved or not. We know this because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice that. He who believes, not the one who believes and does XX, you know, all this other stuff added. That's what gets you into heaven, what we believe. And we're believing that Jesus came, born of a virgin, the Son of God, dying in our place. As our priest, he made a sacrifice of himself. That's it. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff. So why does Paul use the fact of the judgment seat of Christ to encourage us to try to please the Lord, as we see in the previous verse? We try to please the Lord because we know that each of us are going to stand before the Lord and give an account of what we did, good or bad. Well, I think it's mainly because it's important what we do with the gracious gift that we've been given. Think about it in terms of a job. What if you were hired on a farm and the farmer said, you know what, I want you to build this barbed wire fence. And I'm going away, in fact, I'm not even coming back. <laughs> and you'll get paid no matter if you do the job or not. I'm not even going to come back and check up on you. How many of us would work that hard? <laughs> you know, For a while, maybe the real resolute person, I'm going to do the job for the sake of doing the job right. But after a while, you'd be like, eh, he's not coming back, I don't care, I'm getting, I already got paid. You know? But what about if the boss tells you, I'm leaving and I'm coming back? 
I'm going to check up on what you did. How much of us would, you know, how many of us would work a little bit harder or do it a little bit better? You know, if your dad tells you, hey, we're going on this trip and we're coming back, the house is a mess, you're in trouble, right? And so, how well we did the job determines bonuses, listen, and future responsibilities. It's not about your salvation, you're in, if you believe. However, there's not an equal playing field once you get there, right? We know, by the word, by the parable of the talents that tells us, if you did good with the little that you've been given, you will receive much more in the next life, it says. In the next life. (laughs) Cities, responsibilities, these kinds of things. You did well with a little bit that you've been given, and now the Lord sees that. We see this in this life, don't we? I was talking to the confirmation class this morning. I said, Kaylee... What if you got hired at Ace Hardware? Okay, so you're working at Ace Hardware, and you know you get there, you start sloughing off, you're drinking alcohol in the back, you're smoking in the bathroom, you know, you're stealing. What are your chances of promotion? Zero, <laughs> right? In fact, you might get fired. And so it is in this life too as well. How many of us expect that we're gonna do the bare minimum just to get by and get the big thumbs up. When you stand before the Lord, the hope is that you're happy about it. You know, you might be a little bit, well, I know I didn't do the best I probably could have, and I did some things I shouldn't have done. But maybe you're excited to see, what does the Lord have for me now with all the work that I put in for him in this life? Okay. And so, the point here is, you're not dead yet. Right? You still have deeds that can be done for Christ because maybe you regret. Maybe you think, boy, I really haven't done much of a job for the Lord. I've just got the D minus, 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 minus just to get by and pass the class. And the Bible tells us that the one who does that will be saved but as one through fire. In other words, you're patting off the fire of hell on your bottom as you get in because you just got in. Don't be the one who does the bare minimum. Be one who's working for the Lord and accomplishing those things that he has for you. He has so many amazing things, and he's going to help you do those things. He's going to help you get through those problems. He's going to help you fight that addiction. So don't give up. And if you fall into sin, don't throw in the towel. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Notice that the righteous person is righteous not because they never fall. It's because they fall and they get up. They keep getting up. That's the point. A mentor friend of mine, he said, you only lose if you quit. So don't quit. Keep getting back up. And you can say, yes, devil, you knocked me down again. I know you're trying to devour me, but the Lord is on my side, and you can't keep me down for long. Because remember, God is with us. He desires to reward us. He's not stingily thinking up there, like on the day of the judgment, oh, there he goes, stumbling again. One less reward I have to give him, (laughs) right? Jesus even told his disciples, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's excited to give it to you. And in regard to the judgment, 
He wants you to be alert, to be awake so that you can look forward to that day, not dread it. Perhaps some of you have looked back on your life, and when you think about the judgment seat of Christ, you wish you could have done a do-over, right? And I want you to be encouraged that if Paul, who was murdering Christians, (laughs) could look forward with great anticipation to heaven, we can too. Because remember, most of God's heroes had major shortcomings. All of those ones in the Hall of Faith had problems. Rahab was a prostitute. Peter denied Jesus three times. David was an adulterer and a murderer. The second thing Noah did after he got off the ark was got drunk and fell asleep naked in his tent. Jacob cheated his brother out of his inheritance. All these were commended for their faith. The next thing we see here is that when you die, you'll be cheering on the rest of us. Many have wondered, well, what are we going to be doing after we die before the end of the world? You know, when the Lord ushers in his heavenly kingdom. Well, there's a couple of passages that indicated, you know, to me, what happens. The first one is in Revelation 6.10, where we see the souls of martyred Christians under the altar crying out to God. It says, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so what they're doing here is they're praying. (laughs) They're talking to God. They're observing the things on the earth. Some people think, well, you get to heaven and then you forget about all the things that are going on here on earth. You start enjoying your life and you're off at, you know, some kind of theme park or whatever, golfing. I don't know. No, (laughs) you're so focused on what's still happening because that's the major part of history still. Things are unfolding. People are getting saved. People are walking with the Lord or need our prayer, their prayers. And so they're praying. They're anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises of bringing judgment upon the wicked and bringing a new righteous era where Jesus rules and reigns over it. And I also believe that we will be cheering on those who remain on the earth. I get this from Hebrews 12.1, which says there's a great cloud of witnesses made of of saints who've already passed on, okay? So they're witnessing something. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing the stuff that's still going on, the unfolding plan of the Lord, the kingdom of God, okay? By by the way, it's not your mom up there, there he goes, I knew he was, (laughs) you know, he's sinning. No, they're cheering you on. They know that you're frail, right? Okay, And I know this probably sounds a bit Greek Orthodox, but I'm not telling you to run out and buy St. Christopher and you know, pray to him or Mary or whoever. I'm just saying they're up there cheering for you. They're cheering for you. Actually, I think that they are praying more than they did in this life because the reality of what prayer does is right in front of them. They're talking to the Lord about you. For some reason, while I was sitting in my study, the people that came to mind that might be praying for me and cheering me on in this busy season here were former pastors at Elam, people that have gone on to be with the Lord, like Pastor Bay, cheering me on. (laughs) Keep up the good work at Elam. Keep going. And if I listened really closely, I could almost hear them in the background cheering. 
In conclusion today here on All Saints Sunday, we celebrate the fact that the death of Christ has made a way for us that was closed because of our sin. Reconciliation with God is now possible for us because we're covered with the blood of the Lamb. And I know that sounds cliche, covered with the blood of the Lamb. But Jesus' death 2,000 years ago was the most important day in the history of mankind. It's because on that day, the question about what happens when we die turned from that of dread and confusion to hope and eager expectation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and the encouragement it brings. Thank you that it tells us what happens when we die. We don't have to wonder anymore and be uncertain about our death, Lord. Help us, Lord, while we are in this body to continue to do the deeds that if we stand before you, we'll be proud of and not ashamed. And so, Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, the ushers will come to receive the offering. Let's go ahead and just pray for the offering real quick. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the provision you've given us. And as we return back to you a portion of what you've given us in thankfulness, I pray that you would multiply it for the use in your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.